Hello and welcome to this podcast which is on the Anschluss with Austria. Uh, we're doing this one slightly differently um, because I'm joined by Miss G who knows nothing about history. And when I say nothing I actually mean nothing. <laughs> and she's a geography teacher <laughs> and as she generally tends to teach me about geography I'm going to try and teach her a bit about uh the Anschluss and about 20th century history. I'd just say you've already lost me with the title. Okay. Uh, the Anschluss is the idea of a union between Germany and Austria. Is the name actually therefore in German? It is, it is in German. And the key term that you need to remember is Anschluss verboten. This is Anschluss forbidden. The idea was that in the Treaty of Versailles that was signed after the First World War, after the First World War, uh, the two countries were not allowed to join together. Okay, okay? that was very specifically listed and as part of the treaties. And is that because Germany in the past had tried to take over Austria, and that's that, where the conflicts had the, started? No, there was a concern that if Austria, which was what was left of the Austro-Hungarian yeah. Empire, joined with Germany, that would create make Germany too powerful again. Okay. And the main idea of the Treaty of Versailles is to stop Germany from becoming this powerful yeah. block in the middle of Europe. It was the Second World War where Germany tried to take over Austria, wasn't it? And this is where we're at now. So, okay. what we're talking about is the 1930s, and Hitler has become Chancellor of Germany. And he's got four main aims for German foreign policy. We don't need to worry about most of them, but one we do need to worry about, which he actually listed in his book that he wrote in 1923, which is Mein Kampf. Okay? Is that worth a read? No, it's an awful book. Okay. It's it's terrible. And I don't mean that awful as in it's evil. I mean, it's just badly written. Okay. It's, it's appalling. Most people will try and read it and they'll get maybe ten pages in and go, okay. um, My struggle. And in this, he said that he wanted to unite all German-speaking people in a greater Reich, a greater empire, uh, obviously under his control. And the reason this is important to him is because he's Austrian. He's Austrian by birth. Oh, I didn't know that. Mm. So it, it, he's ruling a country that he technically doesn't really have m many rights to. Because right, yeah. who's he to come in and take over yeah. a country? Okay. And so this is the other part of it, the idea that uh, the Austrians are racially and culturally and linguistically German. Yeah. So it's seen as a natural thing for them to want to do. Now, he's tried to get this Anschluss going before in 1934 and he failed because Mussolini who's in charge of Italy I was going to say Italy yeah right has moved he moves his army up to the border and declares that Austria's independence will be guaranteed by him because he doesn't want a big powerful Germany sitting on his northern border yeah okay yeah because Austria geographically it's in the Alps that's right and Germany's got the Alps as yeah. well and Italy's on the other side that's of the right. Alps exactly yeah. right now, by 1936, the situation has changed. Mussolini is now Hitler's ally. More to the point, Mussolini is now busy looking at Spain and the Spanish Civil War. Can I pause a second? What yeah. is an ally? Uh, somebody who's allied with somebody else. They've teamed up. Okay, so teamed they're up. friends. Teamed up. Yeah, friends. So they've signed the Rome-Berlin Axis. They are now allies, and those two countries have sided with each other. So this is an opportunity now for Hitler to continue with what he's been doing in undoing the Treaty of Versailles and bringing Germans together again. He's had a lot okay. of success in other areas, which the people who've been listening to the podcast know about, uh, but this is the next step, and this is a biggie. So at this stage, does he have control of Poland? 
No, no, this is way before just all way that. Before, way okay, before all that. Right, just getting myself sorted. Yeah. yeah. So the year we're looking at now is 1938. Mm-hmm. Okay. And 1938, it kicks off with rumours of an uprising by the Austrian Nazi Party. Because remember, Nazism is a political movement. There are Nazi parties in other countries. Um, This one in Austria is led by a particularly unpleasant example of humanity called Seis Inkwart. Don't worry about how I've pronounced that, but do learn to spell it properly. It's quite important. Um, Seis Inkwart is the leader of the Nazi Party in Austria, and rumours start to go around that there's going to be another attempted uprising like there was in 1934. Mm-hmm. Schusnig, who is the Chancellor of Austria, asks Hitler for help. He basically says, you are the head of the Nazi movement. Can you please make sure that these Austrian Nazis don't cause any problems? Okay. This is a red flag to a bull, because Hitler is an opportunist, and he has a sense for weakness. And he senses the weakness in uh, Schusnig asking for help. So he refuses. He absolutely point blank refuses to help and says that actually you deserve all the problems you get and we might inv- we might come in and sort of like help the Nazi party along because you're not giving them what they need. Perhaps if you were to buy them off and give them some influence, there wouldn't be any trouble. So the deal that ends up being done is that Seis Inkwart, who is head of the Austrian Nazi party, is appointed Minister of the Interior, which puts him in charge of the police. Okay. Okay. So the police at this point, I would presume, become quite corrupt and start doing what he wants them to do, not exactly. what people think they ought to be And doing. as you can imagine, it, almost immediately the Austrian Nazi parties can now see that they've got an opportunity here. Is, is this why quite a lot of people started leaving Austria? Yeah, there's, there's, there's a quite a, uh, a large exodus of uh, Jewish population yeah. and political opponents, but yeah. not enough, as we'll see. Yeah. Um, the... The Austrian Nazis start having riots and demonstrations and kicking off. And the police, what do you reckon the police do? Well, they're, they're not going to be fussed by it, are they? They're not exactly. going to stop it. They are actually ordered by Seis Inkvart not to do anything. Yeah. And at this point, the country is starting to destabilise. Um, and so, Schusnig does something very, 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 very clever. He basically pulls Hitler's teeth. Because what he does is... He announces that there's going to be a plebiscite. Do you know what a plebiscite is? No, I have no is? idea. A plebiscite is like a referendum. It's a it's a vote of everybody in the country to decide um, where they're going to end up, who's going to control them, or anything. So he says, "We'll have a plebiscite. We'll have a vote, and if everybody in the country says that they want to join with Germany, right, fine, not a problem. But if everybody in the country says that they don't want to join with Germany, Germany has to wind its neck in and leave us alone, and okay. the Austrian Nazi Party have to." wind their neck in as well that's quite a brave move Um, the interesting thing is that in theory they probably would have voted to join Germany because they're culturally linguistically German the problem is Hitler can't take the choice he can't take the risk because if they vote against it that's the Anschluss done forever it can't be done and so he doesn't want this plebiscite to happen so he basically um, threatens Schusnig. There's no two ways about it. And one of the things we've seen before in the early 20th century with Hitler in the 1930s is that he has a simple tactic. He will bluff and he will bluster and he'll threaten force. 
and this is exactly what he does here. He moves the German troops right up onto the border with Austria and looks as though he's going to invade. Yeah. And this pressure put on Schusnig, um forces him to call off the plebiscite and resign. That's the demands that are being made. You've got to cancel this plebiscite and you've got to step down. Yeah. Schusnig is probably holding on, waiting for help from the two big beasts of Europe, which is Britain and France. Yeah. And the help never comes. And is that because they know that there's this Nazi party there, they don't want to really get involved with it? Or it, is, it is seen as an internal issue. There's, there's two things. First off, France will not act unless Britain does, yeah. because they're frightened yeah. and they feel weak. They yeah. don't realise how weak the German army is at this stage. So Britain, uh, France are relying on Britain to do something, and Britain regards it as basically an internal matter. Yeah. Because as far as they're concerned, they're Germans. Why Why shouldn't they be allowed to join together? They were never in favour of banning the Anschluss yeah. in the treaty in the first place. So they, they don't see a particular need to get involved. Um, whether they should or not is another question, because this is naked aggression of yeah. Germany marching its troops up to the borders and sort of you know shaking the fists over them. Um, so no help comes, and Schusnig's left with absolutely no, no sort of... Yeah, nothing. So he, he has to resign yeah. and cancel the plebiscite. Uh, Seyss Inkwart, the head of the Austrian Nazi Party, becomes Chancellor and almost immediately invites Germany in to restore order. The German troops, we need you to come and restore order. To restore order from the chaos being caused by the riots and demonstrations by the Nazi Party. Which has all been led on by Hitler. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So on the 12th of March, the German army rolls in. And the first thing they do is they start rounding up political opponents. Yeah. 80,000 people on the first day, first two days, arrested, disappeared in the concentration camp system. Did they change the flag in Austria at this point? Um, well, when, on the 14th of March uh, of 1938, Hitler basically proceeds through Vienna like a like a Roman triumph, like yeah. the, the generals of all. Right. Yes. I'm up in the and, air. Yeah, and yeah. there's and there's cheering crowds welcoming him and all the rest of it. There is a school of thought that Hitler was not expecting it to go as well as it did, and he wasn't expecting the Austrian people, because if he was that confident about how the Austrian people felt, he would have let the plebiscite happen. Yeah. So there's a certain there's evidence that when he first went over the border to Innsbruck, where he was born the reaction of the people there was so great that he got swept up in it and he went to the next town and the, the reaction there was so great that he was swept up in it. So this actually happens more or less by accident. Yeah. But very quickly, um, it, it becomes an Anschluss and Austria ceases to exist as a country and becomes part of the German Reich. It becomes the Ostmark, the East, uh, the East March of the German Reich. And you, the flag changes. Yeah, so then they go around pulling down flags, don't they? That's right, and replace yeah. them if you haven't replaced your yeah. Austrian flag yet. Yeah. Um, and in April, Hitler holds plebiscite on his own terms. And there's the people in my class have seen this, and you can find it on the internet the, uh, the ballot paper which says, Do you support the decision made by our Fuhrer Adolf Hitler to uh, join the two countries together? It's got two, uh, Ja and Nein. 
and the ya circle is five times the size of the nine circle. <laughs> it's, it's a very subtle form of persuasion. You've got to, there. You've got to go with yes. Yeah. No is not a good op- option. And so 99.75% of the population Ooh. agree. Now, obviously, it's a totalitarian regime and these things are always dodgy, but it is fair to say that most of the Austrian population were keen on this Angelus and having it. Um, Wow, I think that if you had other people coming into your country, taking over your country, Mm. a lot of people would be against it. And I would have thought maybe the high numbers that said yes felt pressured into saying yes. No, they're not not other people. They're Germans. They're just like us. We've wanted to be with them. From the Austrian point of view, they were part of the Austro-Hungarian Empire. They dominated Europe for 200 years. And their empire fell apart bit by bit by bit by bit. And then the First World War destroyed it. And now there's just this tiny little bit of a country called Austria left. And they feel weak and they feel, you know, separated. Do you think they feel connected to Hitler knowing that Hitler is actually Austrian? Yeah, absolutely. That definitely plays part of it. Definitely. Um, And so Britain and France do nothing to stop the Anschluss, even though this is a, a complete break of the terms of the Treaty of Versailles the League of Nations is finished by this point, they're not even consulted Uh, I think something that's worth remembering is one of the reasons that Britain is actually secretly quite happy about Austria and Germany joining together is it puts a block of a strong Germany in the middle of Europe as a buffer against Soviet Russia yeah I was going to say the Russians yeah. yeah And so they're quite happy with that because one thing you can say about Hitler, he's rabidly anti-Soviet, anti-communist, and Britain is very, very frightened of communism. So do you think Britain would have been looking at this situation thinking, right, that's good for now, and we'll keep monitoring it if it starts turning messy, do we need to get involved? I don't even even think they thought like that. Their their only idea is that protects us from them. And also... One of the founding ideas of the Treaty of Versailles and all of the things that were done there were these President Wilson's 14 points and this idea of self-determination, that people should be able to choose where they live and who rules them. Yeah. And that's exactly what the Austrians have just done. Yeah. You know, they, this is where we want to be, this is who we want so to be it's, with. I suppose how you look at it is it's no one's actually come in here saying, we're going to take over your country. They've yeah. actually agreed to it. They've that's said, right. we want this yeah. to happen. Yeah, that's yeah. how it looks. Um, so in terms of the, the knock-on, and the 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 you know the results of it, um, there's some interesting bits and pieces. Firstly, it does wonders for Hitler's confidence for a number of reasons. First off, he's been proved right again yeah. that this can be done. He's been able to gamble like he did, moving the troops into yeah. position. He got the outcome that he wanted, and nobody stopped him. Yeah. So this massively uh, increases his confidence, increases his standing at home. Uh, it continues that winning streak he's had since the remilitarization of the Rhineland, so the generals are less likely to argue with him. Um, and also, he can present it as a triumph at home. He's succeeded in one of his main aims, undoing some of the injustices of the Treaty of Versailles. So it's a fantastic propaganda coup for him. And the, the newsreel of that procession, like you said, through uh, through Vienna, with the, with the flags fluttering and the crowds raising their arms in the Nazi salute, is really phenomenal. From a practical point of view, they've got the Austrian army, and they've got coal, and they've got steel, and they've got iron. The key resources you need for making bombs, tanks. Yeah. 
Yeah. Everything. It's, it's, it's a huge boost to the German economy. A massive one, which is especially important when you consider you're just coming out the tail end of the Great Depression. Yeah. Um, the worry for the future, for everybody else, not for Hitler, is that now, because they've got Austria and because they've got Germany, they actually have land on three sides of the western part of Czechoslovakia. And the western part of Czechoslovakia is called the Sudetenland. Okay. And it's home to three million German speakers. Ah, so the worry is that they'll take over Czechoslovakia. Yeah, well, certainly the Sudetenland. That's yeah. now become obviously next on the agenda. Yeah. Because uniting all German-speaking people yeah. in a greater Reich, well, he's already started to do yeah. that. And the Sudetenland's the obvious next bit. And I suppose the last thing from a from a political point of view, is it's proven to Hitler and to everybody else the strength of the alliance with Mussolini. Because last time Mussolini was the one who stopped this and this time he hasn't. And that's entirely down to the bond between these say, two countries. Italy, were they friends with the Germans yes, in the war? Yeah. So actually they're not too bothered because actually it's stronger around yeah, where their country is. Right. There isn't any conflict potentially happening. No, People have agreed no. to it, therefore Austria is yeah. going to be happy. Yeah. Mussolini's happy. perfectly happy for Hitler to be sitting on his northern border now yeah. because they've they've signed this alliance yeah. in 1936, the Rome-Berlin axis. Yeah. So it's 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 the last it's the last thing that Hitler does which is peaceable. It's the last thing that Hitler does which is reasonable in terms of everybody agrees to it and everybody's happy to it the thing is that the tactic that he's done here of marching the troops in threatening and all the rest of it if he does it again he's now going to be doing it against people who don't want to be part of germany like czechoslovakia or poland or all the rest of it but it's been proven to him that it works that the aggression worked because nothing was done to stop him here. So can you use that again and again and again? Yeah. How's that? Yeah. Yeah. I learnt stuff there. Did you follow that? The the only word I'm struggling to remember is that P word because all I want to say is placebo and that's not the right... Plebiscite. 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 And I personally would probably struggle with the names of those leaders. But again, I suppose that's like with us, with the key terms in geography, you just have to keep going over and over and over again with them until you learn them. I think for revision purposes, the key thing you've got to do with the Anschluss is you need to remember the names and you need to remember the chronology. So you need to know Seizingfahrt, you need to know Schuschnigg, obviously you need to know Hitler, uh, Mussolini. And you need to know that it happens in March 1938. It's quite easy to remember that because just like the Rhineland, basically the German army marches in March. Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's a good way of remembering it. So you can't go far wrong. Both of those things happen in March. In terms of, um, I want you to listen to the the podcast, you could do a flow diagram as you're going along listening to it, or you can do it again after to see what you remember and go through the podcast again and mark it, check it. Yeah even do like a little storyboard of what's happening, have the big numbers in, in yeah. bold or yeah. just some, some kind be, of yeah. pictures of the The sequencing, I think, yeah. is, is really important, yeah. what happens when, so that you can see exactly how it was that Hitler managed to manoeuvre his way in. Because it is just done with manoeuvring. Yeah. There's no military force here involved. Yeah. This is a gamble on his part and it pays off yeah. again. Yeah. He has the most incredible run of luck. 
in the early 1930s. Place, but not with his nasty, evil powers that he had. <laughs> you might have to wear the moustache. Okay, uh, thank you very much for listening, and good luck in your exams. <laughs>